Hey Ross, you've got a podcast, haven't you? Um, yes I do, actually. What's it called? Imaginary Advice. What? Um, imag- imaginary Advice? It's called Imaginary Advice. Imaginary Advice? Yes. That doesn't mean anything. Well, no, it, it does mean something. From hearing that title, I know absolutely nothing. It, it's... It, well, it, it's a storytelling podcast. So so it's not an advice podcast? N- no. You know, like some kind of spoof advice podcast? No. Because that would make sense. So people can't write in with their problems and then you give them advice? Like... Midnight Caller with Gary Cole? No, I I, I don't do that. I, um, I, I don't give advice. But the word advice is literally in the title. I'm aware of that. Your podcast is called Imaginary Advice. Yes. It should be a spoof advice no, podcast. I, uh, no, I, I, I tell stories and uh, some of them are true and then some are fiction. But I, I mean, I'd say if they had something in common, I'd say they all tend to call attention to themselves as stories. Uh... Sometimes episodes are more like essays, but even then they tend to be essays about storytelling in some way, mostly. Look, well, I, I know that sounds vague, but um, I don't know. I've, I've just, I've never been good at just stepping back and seeing the, the, the bigger picture. And that's why it's hard for me to describe what it is. And I wish that wasn't the case, but you know. You used to have a good job. I know, I know. What was wrong with working for the Alliance in Leicester? Yeah, I mean... And now you sit in a wardrobe and talk to yourself. Yeah. You spend all your time making an advice podcast... Okay. ...that doesn't offer any advice whatsoever. Yeah. And no one listens to it. Several people listen to it. You'll never be happy. All right, mate. If you want the real reason, I'll give it to you. I called it imaginary advice as a as a playful way to draw attention to the pedagogical traditions of storytelling. You know, if you think of like a Bible parable, that's a kind of form of imaginary advice, isn't it? Uh, any story with a, with a moral at the end, that's imaginary advice. And, but, but the idea is you're meant to follow the teachings of the story, right? It's instructional. It tells you how to live. But when you describe it in that way, when you call these stories imaginary advice well then like the, the phrasing of that's intentionally ambiguous it's as if the moral at the end of the story might also be part of the fictional construct the 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 instructional aspect of the story is brought under suspicion like the moral is as fake as anything else it, 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 it's, it's my way of saying don't follow my advice i made it all up and, and that's why i called it imaginary advice and i don't, I don't fucking care who gets it you were Playfully drawing attention to the pedagogical traditions of storytelling. I I hear that tone. You don't have to... Who, who the fuck are you anyway? Do I know you? I, I don't think we know each other. And yet, you'll never escape me. Oh my God. What, what are you doing to my curtains? Decorating. Okay, I don't know where that scene was going. Let's just... Let's just stop that. But look... Look, listeners, um, there, there is a point to all this. I, I, I think that maybe, maybe I could make the show easier to find for new listeners. I, I, I should be better at explaining what this show is about. That's why, yeah, that, that's why I'm going to run a competition, if you can call it that. If you can help me, if you can come up with a good 
tagline for this podcast, let me know and uh, I will use it. And then I'll, I'll, I'll send you uh, a bunch of stuff. Look, I don't really know what I need, but here's what I think I need. I need something, a few words, a sentence that I can write underneath the title, imaginary advice. Something that sounds good and, and snappy and and, 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 and and helps explain what the podcast actually is. I, I think I think that having such a thing I mean, it would help me in several ways. I think it would help me know myself. I think it would help me know what I was working on. And I think it might also help guide uh, a few lost listeners towards the podcast. So if, if you can come up with a title, you can either uh, tweet it to me at, at Ross G Sutherland on Twitter, or you can look up the Imaginary Advice page on Facebook and comment on the thread there. Otherwise, you can email me your suggestion at rossgordonsutherland at gmail.com. Um, if, uh, if I pick your tagline, then um, I'll send you a copy of my book from last year. That's the script for Party Trap. That's the play that I wrote that was one big palindrome. Plus, uh, I'll also send you a copy of my poetry book, called uh, Things to Do Before You Leave Town. And also, uh, thirdly, um, um, you'll have the uh, the option to commission a brand new poem off me on the topic of your choosing. Now, there's, there's no pressure to use that straight away, um, but uh, it, it's just a kind of favour card that you can basically cash whenever. Whenever throughout the rest of your life, when you suddenly need a poem, either because you want to give a poem to somebody else as a gift, or you just want a poem commissioned on a particular subject, uh, then all you have to do is email me and call in the favour. And like you can frame that however you want. You can give me a word, or you can send me a picture, or like a website. I don't care. Like wh whatever you want a poem about, just send me that data, and um, uh, yeah, and then I mean, I'll write something for you. Now, um, on to this month's episode. Uh, this episode is, it's, it's especially for anyone who initially subscribed to this podcast, believing it to be an advice show. Just for you, at long last, some useful, pragmatic advice for living. Now, that advice isn't going to come directly from me. Uh, it's going to come courtesy of my friend Chris Hicks. Chris has uh, recently been running an advice column, and I thought it would be nice to dip into some of his recent correspondences. Uh, at the very least, I think this will hopefully protect me from getting prosecuted under the Trade Descriptions Act. So, here it is. Um, courtesy of Chris Hicks. I hope you like it. Dear Chris, it's like I'm losing my mind or something. I'm blatantly paranoid. It's blatant. Everywhere, I'm looking round at the people in the street and wondering if they're a threat to me. I size them up. I think whether they will attack me with knives. It's hurting my friends too. I can see them look at me and at the same time, 
I think that the way they stare is also a threat. Yes, the world is dangerous, but am I normal? Do people that are normal think like me? Please help, Sam. Dear Sam, thanks for writing to me. I know it can't have been easy. To be honest, Sam, I think you have things out of perspective. You tell me that you size up people in the street. That's crazy. I think that at some point, Sam, you lost touch with what threat really means. Put yourself in the shoes of the average person in the street. Why would that person want to attack you with a knife? I'm average. I walk on the street pretty much every day and I would never attack you with a knife. Have you ever seen a 50 caliber sniper rifle, Sam? They make a bunch of them now. Not a few, a bunch. Remarkable machine, Sam. If I was anywhere within half a mile of you with one in my hands, then there would be nothing in an average city block that you could safely cower behind. Nothing, Sam. You know what, Sam? Forget the 50 cows. Even a neat little 338 could punch a fist-sized hole in a hard-sided truck or armoured limousine at over 800 yards with the right ammo. There's nothing, Sam, to stop you being in that truck. 800 yards, Sam. Blam! Fuck! The bullet would hit you before the sound. At that kind of range, we're all the same. Take it easy, big guy. Chris. Dear Chris, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm just another office worker, even to me. I feel like a nobody. I'm not great at anything. I'm not exciting. I don't think people notice me and I don't blame them really. I couldn't pick myself out in a lineup. I feel like I've got a lot to give, but don't get any chances to give it. I'm at breaking point. Please help me get noticed. Yours, hopefully, Alex. Dear Alex, your letter really moved me. I started crying and shit. You need to know that you're not the first to feel this way. When the light support weapon, LSW, was first tested by the British Army, it seemed like the whole world was against it. A squad automatic weapon that only fed from magazines. Ridiculous. It made mistakes. Its bipod fell off. It jammed. It couldn't lay down suppressing fire. It was universally slated as not fit for purpose. In the end, the army replaced it with the Belgian-made Manimi. Just like that. Tough times. The Manimi was a proper squad automatic. It only fed from magazines when it really had to. Sturdy and reliable, it could rip through 200 rounds of belted ammo in 20 seconds. It could suppress a whole fire team single-handed. Everybody loved it. It seemed there was nothing that LSW could do that the Manimi couldn't do better. But the LSW had something that Manimi didn't. Something nobody saw at first. Everybody was so busy dismissing its freakish bullpup configuration that they forgot that there was a reason for it, a hidden beauty. The LSW has a 25 inch barrel. That makes it very, very accurate. Whilst the Manimi struggles to hit much outside 300 meters, the LSW can consistently nail motherfuckers way out at six. It was point fire perfection in a lightweight package. You want to harass that sniper? LSW. Want to put five rounds rapid through the roof gunner? LSW. It might not be a suppressing fire weapon, but it's as accurate as pretty much 
anything in its calibre. Better yet, that long barrel imparts enough muzzle velocity to its little 5.56mm rounds to tumble and fragment them on contact with soft tissue. It doesn't just shoot far, it shoots hard. When the LSW hits you, you stay down. Hope that helps. Chris. Dear Chris, I think I'm in love with my best friend. I've known him for as long as I can remember and we were always really close. But I never really thought about it until a few weeks ago. We were drunk and dancing and then we were basically getting off with each other. I don't think he remembers it, but I can't stop thinking about it. I think I love him. I've never been in love with a boy before, and I don't think he has either. I'm really confused and now I'm avoiding him because all I want to do is ask him about it. What can I do? Yours, Matt. Dear Matt, Most modern anti-tank mines are designed not to go off if somebody walks on them. That's because it's not cool to turn people into clouds of steaming man mints with an anti-tank mine. Nobody wants to see a soldier die like that. It's a terrible waste of explosive. Dead soldiers are bad. Badly wounded soldiers are much better. They're needy, they bleed a lot, they really slow the advance down. They're worth more than an out-and-out casualty. That's where anti-personnel mines come in. Anti-personnel mines generally contain very little explosive, just enough to spray ball bearings into the groin or explosively amputate a few toes. They're small, they're cute, they're unlikely to kill you, but they're guaranteed to leave you screaming and disabled and demoralize the shit out of your unit. In short, a design success. It's not the amount of force, Matt. It's how you apply it. What you have to ask yourself is this. He's just one man. How much explosive do you really need? Chris. Dear Chris, I'm looking for an anti-material round for my 50 calibre sniper rifle. I use the Accuracy International and I was interested in using the RAVFOS. It has a lot going for it but I'm a bit worried about breaking international law if I accidentally hit an enemy soldier. Obviously I want to be able to take out helicopters and lightly armoured vehicles and I'm all about setting fire to ammo dumps but I don't want to break the rules of war. Is it okay to use RAVFOS or would you recommend another kind of ammunition? Yours, Carla. Dear Carla, to answer your question, Ralphos is an incendiary round, and the St. Petersburg Declaration of 1868 outlaws incendiary rounds for use against people. You can use regular bullets, but not incendiary ones. That's because setting fire to people is uncivilized, but shooting football sized holes in them is okay. Better than okay, generous. But let's put that to one side for a second. Carla, I think there's something wrong with you. You ask me about ammunition and about the rules of war. You, you don't ask about the people you're shooting at. Carla, I think you're more interested in weapons than you are in people. That's not right. Seriously, Carla, it's not right. 
I don't know what to tell you. Try to find somebody who loves you, or a dog, or an allotment, or write some fucking poems or whatever. Try to channel your energy into creating, into something that gives life, instead of taking it away. Good luck, Chris. P.S. Ralphos generally doesn't ignite until after it leaves the body cavity unless the target is wearing body armor with a ballistic protection rating of level 2 or above which is basically cheating anyway. Don't be a pussy your whole life. Shoot. And you can read more of Chris Hicks on the McSweeney's website, uh, McSweeney's Internet Tendency. I, I always love Chris's stuff. It was an honour to have him on. Uh, also, thanks to David Bamford, Ellie Stamp, Emily Denning, and Angus Dunnikin for lending their voices. So, again, remember, if you can come up with a good subtitle for the podcast, uh, send it to me right now. Don't think too hard about it. Just go with your gut. Um, in the meantime, uh, I'll be back very soon with another episode of Imaginary Advice. Okay, bye. Thank you.